This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined once again by George Smith. George, how are you? Not bad, mate. Not bad. Glad to be back. been a while. It's been three weeks since I was uh, last on one of these, but... Obviously, only miss one because of the international break. But yeah, glad to be back and looking forward to getting stuck into it over the next hour or so with your good self. Yeah, we've got plenty of fun things to talk about. The championship table is an absolute minefield at the minute. There is uh, currently two points between 17th and 9th. Um, and there are two points between 13th and 6th, I think is the other one. So it's an absolute minefield I'll go for the same word again <laughs> it's uh it's very congested in that middle pack in particular um and as we'll talk about we've got plenty to talk about because we've got a new appointment we've got another managerial exit to get into as well as of course all the weekend's action so thank you as always for tuning in make sure you're subscribed on all your usual platforms and follow us on twitter at champ chat pod 24 and of course a massive thank you to our sponsors cards accepted for supporting the podcast again this year if you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees make sure you visit cardsaccepted.co.uk they provide a discount on the rrp of all summit devices so make sure you go and check them out and over the next hour we'll be bringing you our reaction to the big talking points over the weekend gary rowett's exit at millwall leads incredible fight back and another win for leicester city so, George, I think we should get in to that incredible fight back from Leeds United, probably the standout result of the weekend. Brilliant game at Carrow Road, even just watching back the extended highlights. Norwich City 2, Leeds United 3 only tells part of the story. Nor- Norwich really dominant in that first half. They just looked electric, which if not, you know, they made a great start to the season. But since Sargent and Ashley Barnes have been out, They've not been quite clicking in the same way in that final third, but John Rose continued to be electric. Um, I thought Kenny McLean was excellent as well. There's some times where I think McLean's been there for so long that you wonder where he's going to start getting phased out, but then he seems to almost not revamp himself, but get re-energised and come back. And he's been a really crucial player alongside Sara in that midfield for um, for the Canaries this season. Some lovely passes, including one lovely ball over the top, which kick-started the move for the second goal, which um, Sara walloped him at the near post past Elan Meslier. The first one, a header from a corner from Shane Duffy. Again, set pieces proven a problem for Leeds United, having conceded one, of course, the week before, uh, well, a couple of weeks before against Bristol City. But Leeds came roaring back. Second half, they created more. Norwich still had their moments, don't get me wrong, but Leeds were far more um, fluent in the final third. Got a bit of fortune with the goal that gets them back in the game, an own goal from Shane Duffy after Dan James's cross. It took a while. You could see almost from the commentary, nobody really understood what had happened. Some people had thought it had gone out for a corner. And it was like, shit, that's got in the back of the net. That's 2-1. <laughs> but that, that got them back into it. And two brilliant goals from Chrysensio Somerville. Somerville with, with two really quality finishes. I particularly like the second one, which is you know the speed he's moving at to, to run at the defender and, and to finish with that sort of precision, that sort of accuracy into the bottom corner. Very little backlift. Gives the goalkeeper, George Long, who'd come on for Angus Gunn, no chance. And some of those one of the players in the championship that had underperformed their expected goals the, the most. And he gets into some great areas. And for him this season, we saw flashes in the Premier League. He obviously scored that winner at uh, Liverpool under Jesse March, which is well remembered by Leeds United fans. But he sort of had his breakthrough year last year um, with Rafinha leaving. And now it's about adding volume in terms of goals, assists, adding the numbers, as you would say, for him. 
But with the quality Leeds had on the bench as well, Willie Nonto back fit again, Jane Anthony available. And then you've got James and you've got Somerville from the start with um, Jorginho Ruta and uh, Joel Perrault as well. They're going to score goals in games. And although they weren't at their best in that first half, and although Norwich will probably come away feeling they were good enough for a, at least a draw based on you know the 90 minutes, I think Leeds can be really, really happy and know that they have got that firepower to get themselves back in the game when they're not quite at it. Most definitely. I said, didn't I, about two or three weeks ago about Leeds, just as they were beginning to gather a little bit of momentum, I said that there's probably not another championship team in the division this year that has got the same luxury in terms of attacking options as Daniel Farker. It's an embarrassment of riches that he's got to work with. When you look at the players that started on Saturday at Cower Road, Dan James, Joel Pirot, Somerville, Ruter, and then on the bench, like you mentioned there, Bamford, Jaden Anthony, Nonto, Ian Perveda was also on the bench as well. It just goes to show just how much quality is within that League United side. So if you've got attackers like that, you know, you, you have got a very, very good chance of scoring two, three, four goals a game. And that is exactly what League United did on, on Saturday, obviously producing a heroic comeback. When they went 2-0 down, it did look for a time, is this going to be another one where Leeds sort of have taken a couple of steps forward, they're going to take one back I actually saw on Friday, consequently, David Wagner during his time at Huddersfield, he'd won every game against Leeds. So it looked as though he was on for a fourth win out of four against them, uh, you know, at half time. But obviously, Leeds came roaring back in the second half. Somerville, the architect of it, two brilliant goals from him. And like you said there, it does feel like the challenge for him now is to add goals and assist to his game. And that's what he's starting to do. He's got three goals, I think, and an assist now in his last three in the championship alone. So, he is starting to step up to the plate and we mentioned there Joel Pirot, he's been in a really good addition so far. Then you've got the likes of Dan James. Ruta's had a good start to the season, being a real handful and a menace, even though he's not necessarily got the numbers to show for it in terms of goals, but he's been a menace up front. So Daniel Farker, like I say, he's got a lot of quality to work with and Leeds United, realistically, though it took them their time in the summer to get their house in order, obviously there was a lot of changes he had to shift a lot of players on before they were able to bring anybody in. But we, you, you look at the championship table now, they're up to third after 12 games. It's about where you would expect them to be. They've got a very, very good team. Six points behind Ipswich in second. So the challenge for them now is is hunting Ipswich down. Can they, can they eat into that little advantage that the Tractor Boys have got? Obviously a long, long, long way to go at the moment. But Leeds just beginning to get up ahead of steam. And I think it's important to point out as well, despite sort of the nature of Leeds, where they've sort of been a little bit stuttery, haven't they? There's been a couple of wins, then a draw, and then another win. They have only lost two of their first 12, which is quite impressive. So they're, they're looking like a team now that are well-oiled and are getting up to speed and are going to start to dismantle teams, you would think, as time goes on. But uh, Stoke away in midweek, it's another game that they'll look at and think, this is one we've got to get three points from if we're going to challenge for automatic promotion. And then they've got that big West Yorkshire derby against Huddersfield next weekend at home. Another game where they'll be the strong favourites to win. So it just goes to show that with a little bit of fight and a little bit of character, this Leeds team can fight back. So if they can do that away at Norwich 2-0 down, you'd expect them to get a good haul of points on their next two games. But as I say, for Daniel Farker, good start, really impressive. But when you've got that quality and abundance in attacking areas, you've got to make it count. And at the minute, he's most certainly doing that. Absolutely, George. Let's go to the league leaders, Leicester City. They beat Swansea City 3-1. First time that Leicester City have been behind 
since the 2nd of September against Hull City. They, of course, lost that game. The only points that they've dropped in the championship this season. Um, excellent strike from Matt Grimes. Got Swansea ahead, first blood. And you're thinking, hello, could we see something here? No. <laughs> Leicester rallied, got themselves back in. Touch of fortune with the goal for Vestergaard, where just took a couple of deflections. Swansea will be very disappointed to give away a goal of... You know, it's just soft, it's sloppy, isn't it? I think when you look back from a, a Swansea point of view. So that got them level. And then Leicester sort of clicked into gear, you know, stepped it up a notch for that second half. Fatawu getting on the score sheet with a, a with a, a really good finish inside the area. Lovely step over by Wilfred Ndidi, who I, I really feel has grown into that role as a, a more attacking number eight in that right centre mid role. You know, I think we all expected uh, Cassidy to come straight into that position when he's signed on loan. But Ndidi's shown that he's adaptable and that, although he's played as a defensive midfielder for most of his career, he's starting to add a little bit more creativity and a bit more impact in the final third. Really good awareness for that step over, as I say. And then Kelechi Iheanacho, who we spoke about on the last podcast, how he's starting to click into gear and sort of announce himself as one of the premier strikers in the championship. Well, he rounded it off on the break. Uh, a little bit of fortune with the ball breaking to him, but a good finish for 3-1. Leicester just show, showing no signs of letting up. And it feels like almost a couple of years ago where we had... It almost came a bit boring to talk about Burnley and it almost came a bit boring to talk about Fulham and, and wax lyrical about how good they've been. But when you look at Leicester, you know, to have 11 wins out of 12, uh, plus 19 goal difference, 33 points, it really, really is um, like a fantastic start because that, that was not a an easy relegation. You know, they had to, they decided to go in a completely different direction from Rogers and Dean Smith to, to go to Enzo Maresca and they've had, you know, it's always a bit of a hangover relegation. Who's staying? Who's going? Whose heart's really in it? But Leicester have, have really just made an incredible start. And I think we do need to keep giving them the praise they deserve and not, not get bored of it just because they keep winning every week. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's just cut to the chase. They're taking the piss, aren't they? Let's be honest. Leicester are taking the piss. They're just finding this too easy. I think when you consider the way that they've dominated this league so far, it is just... Ridiculous. It really is. 11 wins from the first 12, 33 points on the board already by the, not even the middle of, well, just gone the middle of October. Shall we wrap the ribbons around the trophy now? Or is that too early and jumping the gun a little bit too much? Personally, jumping the gun, but it's probably uh, it's probably only a formality. Really. They're 11 points clear of third place already. And like you said there, yeah, there was a very different sort of direction that Leicester chose to go in in the summer. They obviously had for, for several years had tried the, the tried and tested. If you look back to when they won the Premier League title, Claudio Ranieri, then they went through Claude Puel and obviously Brendan Rodgers, he came in, Dean Smith. And then obviously things changed in the summer with Enzo Maresca coming in. And though obviously he'd come from Manchester City uh, as as an assistant coach, when you've worked at Manchester City, you've got to have something about you. And clearly Enzo Maresca has, but at the same time, he's been blessed by inheriting a very, very good team for this level. There's no doubt about it. But like we often said about Burnley and Vincent Company last year, you've still got to have a manager to mould it all together and, and get the players on the straight and narrow and get them to buy into the philosophy that you're trying to implement. And that's exactly what's happening for Leicester. And I must admit, when I saw on Saturday afternoon that Swansea had gone 1-0 up, I did think to myself... Hello, could we actually see a potential potential upset here? Obviously, Swansea have been in a very good vein of form. They went into that game having won four in a row. But obviously, Leicester came roaring back. And I think, let's be honest, and I said it a few weeks ago, didn't I? 
let's just take you've got to you've got to doff your hat to Hull City for that victory at the King Power Stadium. The, the only team to I have taken by the end of the season. They might be at this rate. It's just an outstanding victory for Hull when you look back and reflect. But Leicester, I mean, let's be honest, they are they they were everybody's favourites at the beginning, weren't they? they? We both tipped them to go up straight away automatically. And based on what we're seeing so far, it's going to be very hard for that opinion to be changed because they are, like I said, they are just making this look too easy. It's almost as though they've got bored with the Premier League and they thought, well, go and win a few games for a season, then we'll go back there. And that's the way it's going. But just a word on Kelechi and Acho, actually. And when you mentioned, you know, you look at what Leicester's squad has got, we've in terms of the goals department at the start of the season, we all looked at the likes of Dewsbury Hall, Jamie Vardy, Mavadidi. And Ian Acho, despite his quality and obviously a former Manchester City player, he kind of went under the radar a little bit. And that was possibly because we all expected him to leave and didn't think that he'd be there come the end of the transfer window. But he's got five goals in his last six games now, four in each of the last four. And I think in that four-game run that he's currently on, he's only started one of those four games and he's still got four goals, which is testament to the quality that they've got and be able to bring off the bench. So... Enzo Maresca, yes, of course, he, he was expected to deliver results consistently with this team and he inherited a very, very good team. But you've got to credit him for the way he's managed to implement a style so quickly because, as we've seen in the past, when a team's come down, granted, not many have had squads as good as Leicester's, you've still got to have a manager to pick up the piece and mould it together. And Maresca so far has done that. So another really good away win. Sunderland at home in midweek. Sunderland, of course, they've got the ability to turn up the heat, especially away from home. So, not be an easy one for Leicester, but let's be honest, at the minute, I just can't see anybody standing in their way. So, yeah, I think another three points will be on the board in midweek and we'll we'll see how things go. But at the minute, they're champions-elect for me and it's only mid- middle of October. I don't think there's been a better club in the last decade to have followed than Leicester City. If well, you think, yeah, they got to they got to win the championship at a canter. Then they did a brilliant, great escape. Then they won the Premier League. Then they won the FA Cup. They got to the quarterfinals in the Champions League, and then they got a bit bored, so they got relegated. <laughs> and now they're just taking the piss out of the championship and beat winning every game. I in say this to my yeah. friend who's a Leicester City fan pretty regularly. I, I he has won football. Like he's experienced, oh, you get a little bit of the lower league glory that us yeah. EFL lovers will talk about, and you get the heights of winning the yeah. Premier League. I don't think it's better. And than as well as that, on a, on a personal note as well for a player, they had the Jamie Vardy Premier League record of scoring 11 games in a row. You know, a little nugget to throw in there as well. Yeah, so it's a good point, actually. They have seen it all at the KP, haven't they, over the last sort of decade or so? But um, yeah. I think we've waxed lyrical enough about them, but for Swansea, I don't think you can sort of be too critical about this. It's going to be it's Leicester approving. It's going to be a tough assignment, whoever you are coming up against Leicester. But four wins in five, Michael Duff would have taken that three, three, four weeks ago, wouldn't he? Without a doubt. Stoke City beat Sunderland two one. Big big win for Alex Neal, the first at the Bet three six five since August the nineteenth. The home form has been pretty woeful in twenty twenty three. And May with the opener, um, really nice finish, getting in behind. Jack Clark got the equaliser with a with a tap in after some great work by Joe Bellingham because apparently having Jude is not enough for the Bellingham family. So now they've got Joe who's making great strides this season for the Black Cats. Um, he's got the tap in. And game was... Um, I, I, I fancied Stoke to get something in this game because I just feel like the the 
pressure was starting to heat up a little bit on Alex Neal. And we know that he loves a result against Sunderland, given the history there. Obviously, they got the 5-1 statement win last season, which sort of kick-started the really good run they had in sort of February, March time. Um, and they got themselves back in front with a header from McNally. Just wanted it more. One of them really like gritty headers where he just gets above his man, heads it into the bottom corner. And I don't think Stoke were excellent in this game, but they were better. And the big challenge for me with Stoke City is they need to show some consistency. They've got to raise their floor. If you sort of the analogy of a you know a team has got one of the better teams got a really high ceiling, but you need to also have a decent floor as well because there's no point being 10 out of 10 or 2 out of 10. You may as well, you know, if you haven't got the floor, and I feel with Stoke, they can either be 8 out of 10 or they can be 2 out of 10 and they just need to be 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10, a little bit more consistently. So I'm never going to get carried away with Stoke because I feel like they lure you in and they've done that ever since they got relegated from the Premier League. They lure you in, particularly in pre-season, and they let you down. And that's been their story in the second tier. So... They need to build on this win. They can't afford for this to be a flash in the pan, particularly at home. Um, and they've got they've got to raise their floor because the ceiling's all right when they're playing okay, but that's not happened enough. But even some of the wins, like the Bristol City win, it's not a sustainable way of playing to come from 2-0 down and get a, a dramatic late winner. Um, so they've, they've got to raise the floor for me. That's the big challenge for them. Sunderland starting without a strike was a bit weird with Mason Burstow and Samedo on the bench. Got Bradley Dack as well, who's uh, fit again. He he came off the bench as well. So I just thought the Sunderland team looked a little bit lopsided as well and, and Stoke took full advantage. They weren't brilliant, but they were better. And that's what I say when I say they've got, they've got to just raise that lower level of their performance. They've got to be harder to beat. Yeah, they are, certainly. I mean... How, how long have I been banging the drum about Stoke City and a lack of consistency? That has been their biggest issue for quite a considerable length of time now. And I've just actually looked while you were talking there. They haven't won back-to-back league games since March, which tells its own story. That is where the problem lies for this Stoke City team. On the each occasions that they previously won this season in their three wins prior to the one they got on Saturday, they lost the following game. They, in some cases, they lost three and then lost two. So, would you guarantee Stoke to build on this victory? Not a chance. This is the thing. And they've got some really difficult fixtures on the horizon this week. Leeds at home in midweek, and then they've got Middlesbrough away next Saturday. So, really, you know, really tough test coming up for Alex Neal and his players. But looking at Saturday's win in isolation, you were right. Stoke were, it wasn't a performance packed with glitz and glamour. It was professional, and it was better than what Sunderland produced. And at the end of the day, when... Like you said, they've been so poor at home for the best part of 12, 12 months this calendar year. They've got to find something and they lost their last last home game uh, and the one before that as well, I should say, when they lost to Hull City and then to Southampton with that free kick from Stuart Armstrong in the, in the Saints game. So they had to get a win from somewhere. Sunderland have been pretty good on the road this season as they were last season. So I kind of looked at that game and thought, I fancy Sunderland, whereas you fancied Stoke. I'll be honest, I had Sunderland on my acre at the weekend and when Jack Clark levelled things up early on, I thought they'd go on and win the game. But obviously Stoke came back and... Did would you not make... see that I'd put them as my shot, mate? That should have been your... Yeah, maybe indication. it should. Maybe it should. Maybe I should listen to you Some once in a while. on my name. <laughs> but no, when obviously Luke McNally uh, netted the winner shortly after half-time and Stoke, you know, they, they, they sewed it up, didn't they? They got the job done. But like I say... A good win in isolation, but the challenge for Stoke is can they build on it? Their lack of consistency is alarming. And like I say, every time that they've they've won this season, they've followed it up straight away with a defeat. So that is where the biggest problem lies for Alex Neal. Leeds at home midweek, 
big, big game, big test. I think that's on Wednesday evening uh, and then Middlesbrough at the weekend away from home. So two really tough games coming up for Stoke and obviously we'll talk about Borough in a bit and the form they're in. So the Leeds game on uh, Wednesday night, I think it is, is, is one that I think you've got to look at for Stoke and say, we're at home again, it's going to be a tough one. But with Borough coming up away, who are flying at the minute, we've got to try and get something from this. So let's see, let's see what sort of week Stoke have this time. By this time next week, when we record again. But uh, yeah, a good win. But I don't think Stoke fans can get carried away. Back to back wins for Southampton, George. They beat Hull City two one at the KCON with a dramatic ninety fifth minute winner from Ryan Fraser. Um, Southampton have looked better in the last two games, having beaten Leeds United before the international break, because they've got two recognised centre backs playing there. You know, um, Shay Charles has done an okay job, but he's a midfielder, not a centre back. So having Harwood Bellis, having Bednarek as the partnership, I think is far more solid. I think it's given them a better base to build from. Really good goal for the first one, just sheer quality from Kyle Walker Peters, getting round his man, getting right to the byline, cutting it back, and Will Smallbone with a smart finish. Um, again, another bit of a soft goal to let in for Liam Delap to get his third of the season to level, um, latching onto a loose ball in front of the goalkeeper and finishing well. But they stole it in injury time. I think a point of peace probably would have been the fair result. But Southampton will feel there's been plenty of games, the Rotherham game coming to mind, springing to mind instantly, where they've been the better side and not been able to get over the line. And Ryan Fraser showing that bit of quality, that bit of nous to find some space in the penalty area and finish. So back-to-back wins for Southampton. Hull, not an easy place to go. Hull's home form's not been great this season, coincidentally. Um, usually because they keep drawing, particularly at home, but obviously now adding a defeat to that record as well. But big big win for Russell Martin to build on the uh, the positivity after the Leeds result before the international break. Yeah, really, really important that they got that because I think when you look at Southampton's recent crop of results, obviously they went on that four-game losing run where obviously they, they were hammered by Sunderland and Leicester and then were narrowly edged out by both Ipswich and uh, Middlesbrough. But then they responded with that win over Leeds, as you said, and then they, they went to Stoke and won, then were held by Rotherham um, prior to the international break, which obviously was a real kick in the teeth. And it was one of those games where everybody looked ahead of it and thought this is an absolute nailed on banker. There is no way that Southampton will not win this game. So I suppose in a way, Brian Fraser popping up in the last minute of the game as has sort of made up for that because 1-1 one, one at home to Rotherham with, with re- the utmost respect to the Millers for a team expected to win promotion this season, that wasn't a good result. So they've certainly made up for that and it could be a vital three points come the end of the season. But like you said, it wasn't a game that was one where it was utterly dominated by Southampton. Both sides had spells in it. It was quite an evenly poised encounter. But you do raise a good point with Hull City's home form, which is which I actually did look at earlier today, funnily enough. They've only won one of their opening six at home this season. I think for a team that's been really, really good away, and I said it a few weeks ago, I think it was after when they drew 1-1 at home with Plymouth, that they the need... The it is They've only lost one of their opening six at the same time at home. It's four draws in there, either side of those wins and their defeat, that, that are holding them back. And actually having a quick glance at that uh, home and away table now, only, only Coventry have drawn the same out of home games as Hull so far this season. So it's certainly a problem that Liam Rossini has got to try and work out because they have actually only conceded seven goals at home. That's the crazy thing to say they've only won one. They're not leaking goals at home. They're just struggling to put teams to the sword in their own backyard. So that's something that they've got to look at and improve. But I suppose at the end of the day, Southampton, 
are a team when you when you break it down when you look at their personnel they are a team packed to the rafters with talent a lot of Premier League talent they're going to find ways to win games and that's exactly what they did at the weekend so I don't think Hull can be too downhearted by the outcome of that game they're, they're still in 12th place after the first 12 games there are a couple couple of points outside the playoffs they've played some really good football at times and as I mentioned earlier on they got that win at Leicester City which was a really really eye-catching result and could be an eye-catching result come the end of the season with the way Leicester are going. But um, I honestly think Hull are still on, a, on an upward trajectory. They are moving in the right direction. They do play some nice football. Signings they made in the summer. Jaden Philogene, he's played well recently. Liam Delap got another goal at the weekend, as you said. So there is cause for optimism. They've just got to try and find a way to just sort of settle this home form a little bit and turn these draws into wins. But as for Southampton, three wins in four, four unbeaten. They seem like they've turned a corner. And like you said, Taylor Harwood, Bellis and Bednarek strengthening that back line together as a pair in the heart of the defence. That's sort of the key. It's given Southampton a bit of a platform to build on. Walker Peters right back, Manning left back. It's a lot more stable and structured and a lot more recognisable. So let's see how Russell Martin's side kick on from here. But like I say, they've taken 10 points in the last 12 on offer. They're moving in the right direction. It looks as that four-game losing run, they've certainly uh, got it out of the system now. Middlesbrough, five in a row for them. They beat Birmingham City. Wayne Rooney's Birmingham City. Oh, don't you start. Exactly, I need to get into that habit. They beat them 1-0 at the Riverside and it was thoroughly deserved. They were the better side throughout, created some big chances. Josh Coburn missing a one-on-one and they just couldn't get the ball in the net until right at the end where Morgan Rogers did just that. And I just don't think there's any Birmingham fans that can only say that, that Middlesbrough didn't deserve that result. They were the better side. They, they look far more settled now in terms of the team. Matt Crooks is having his best run under Michael Carrick, having been a bit of an impact sub last year with Chubarak Pond playing in that number 10. Coburn's got the number nine shirt ahead of Lattie Laugh at the minute. Sam Greenwood's getting regular minutes on the left-hand side. And it looks a little bit more like last season, as I say. Isaiah Jones has been in great form. Um, he looked like he was going to create the big problems for Birmingham and it's five wins in a row now, and having watched them relatively recently before they went on this run at Ewood Park, without them winning 2-1 on that day, you could just see that there was a good side there. They were just lacking confidence. They were lacking a bit of cutting edge in the final third. And now we've seen that come with confidence and with, obviously, three points gets you that confidence and helps build that momentum. And they've certainly got that at the minute. Back to the, the Bonkers League table, they're 13th now, but they're only two points off the top six, having made such an atrocious start to the season. And as I say, there's two points between 17th and 9th in the league at the minute. So this was a really good performance from Birmingham, uh, from Middlesbrough, should I say. Michael Carrick's side will be really, really pleased with that. And it just feels like we're starting to see some consistency in the selection. We're starting to see some of the summer signings bed in. And... It's great to see you know, players like Coburn, who's someone who had a great loan at Bristol Rovers last year, someone who's got a lot of talent. It's great to see Carrick giving him a, a run down the middle and he seems to be causing you know, the finishing at times a little bit erratic. He's a young player, but he seems to be making the most of that opportunity. Thoroughly deserved win and it probably would have been a bit of a travesty if Birmingham had got a point in this one, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Borough have certainly got over that sluggish start now. There's no doubt about it. They're starting to play with that vibrancy that we saw so often last season, certainly in the second half of last season. And I think, to be fair, you, you've probably got to cut Middlesbrough and Michael Carrick some slack because I think after what happened last year with the way they were so, so, so good with the ball, they moved it so quickly, they were such a joy to watch. 
you've got to appreciate and just remember the amount of quality that they did lose at the end of the last season, such as Ryan Giles, Ramsey, um, Tube Ratpom obviously left in the summer. Cameron Archer's loan uh, terminated. And then they obviously they went down quite a different path to what we expected with recruitment. It was probably going to take a little bit of time for it to all come together. And we often say, don't we, as football fans, none of us, we've never got any patience. But I think Middlesbrough fans now have probably realised why they needed to be a little bit patient because, yeah, they, they would have expected a better start. Michael Carrick would have hoped and expected for a better start. But now they're starting to click into gear. And I think this just sort of sums it up quite nicely for Middlesbrough. Exactly a month ago today, the 22nd of September, they were bottom of the table on two points. Fast forward a month, they're 13th on 17 points. So it just goes to show how quickly things can change in this league in the space of just four weeks. And like you said, they're within touching distance of the playoffs, despite being 13th in the standings as things stand. But I think for Middlesbrough now, like you said, a lot more individuals are stepping up a lot more of them are performing consistently. And I've not seen Middlesbrough play live since their 1-1 draw with Sheffield Wednesday last month. Uh, I know the game against Sunderland was on TV. I, w- I wasn't able to see that um, uh, for, for private reasons that, Elliot, you obviously know about. But it was it was interesting, I think, the fact the way that Isaiah Jones has just dominated that right-hand side in the last few games. He's been absolutely excellent at driving forward and carrying that Borough team up the pitch. And his form and upturning form has been really, really key to Borough's upturning form. So it's quite clear that individuals, as you'd expect, are having a clear impact on the team as a whole. Better players are stepping up, the team's stepping up. But this coming week, it's quite a a significant one for Michael Carrick, really. Tuesday night, Middlesbrough go to Norwich. That marks exactly a year to the day since Michael Carrick got the job. And then Saturday... Uh, their home game with Stoke City will mark Michael Carrick's 50th game in the job. So he's got a couple of landmarks coming up this week that he'll want to try and mark in style with probably a couple more wins. So he'll be hoping to do that. Borough will be hoping to add to their collection. So let's see where we're at with Middlesbrough this time next week. Current form, the way they're playing at the moment, you'd certainly not rule out the batting another six points to their tally. But as we know in the Championship, as Hull proved when they beat Leicester a few weeks ago, Anything can happen. Anything is possible. So Borough can't get carried away. They've got to remain grounded. And I'm sure Michael Carrick will be reminding that to his players. He's no fool. He He's played for Manchester United. He knows the demands and the uncertainties that can crop up in football. So looking really, really good at the minute. But I don't think there's a case of Borough sort of saying we can take our foot off the gas and think it's going to be easy from here on in. We've got things moving. Now we can relax a little bit. Standards have got to remain sky high. So yeah, I think Borough ticking along nicely, playing some good football. That's the most important thing. They've got an identity, I think, again. So let's see where they're at this time next week. But uh, as I say, a big week for Carrick. Norwich away midweek and then Stoke at home at the weekend. Good opportunity, I think, to get another six points, but not going to be easy. Only game one, but nothing particularly revolutionary from Wayne Rooney's Birmingham. I thought, you know, I looked at the team sheet and a flat midfield three of Bielik, Sunjic and Gardner is is very stodgy. There's not a lot of creativity in that, is there? So that that's something that definitely for me, you've got Bakuna sat on the bench and you've got Gardner, Bielik and Sunjic. You do not need all three of them as good as Middlesbrough are. So that was, um, yeah, I think there's plenty to work on for Birmingham and Wayne Rooney's got time to do that. Let's go to another new manager. Watford won at Sheffield Wednesday. Neil Danny Roll is the new Owls boss. He took them to Watford. And they lost 1-0. They're now nine points adrift of safety, having scored one goal in their last eight games. 
It was interesting to see the team selection. He made eight changes, bringing back a lot of the players that were signed in the summer from Cisco, which I think fans probably wouldn't have expected, given that the old guard, as it were, came back against Huddersfield and got a good point. You got Musaba, um, Bambo Diaby, Paul Valentin all in. And they did try to press a little bit higher and there were some encouraging signs. But the big turning point was the penalty. And I've seen a lot of discussion about this and people saying that he doesn't know how it's given. I think the linesman points for a goal kick and the referee gives a penalty. So how they've got to the decision of overturning the penalty, I'm not quite sure. And quite clearly, it's a bit of a muddled process. However, it is quite clearly not a penalty. So it doesn't really matter. I've seen a lot of people getting very wound up about the penalty. It doesn't matter. He got the ball. It weren't a penalty. Move on. The right decision was made in the end. He definitely got the ball. It was a corner. That was the right decision. So a little bit unlucky with that when it gets overturned, but it was the right decision ultimately. So I don't really see how Wednesday fans can complain too much. And the difference between these two teams in the end, in what was quite an evenly uh, fought contest, was the fact that Watford had got a bit of quality in the final third and they brought um, Aspria off the bench. Really good left foot, obviously still building that consistency as a young player. Comes inside, good finish into the far corner past Cameron Dawson. And that's the sort of magic and the little bit of quality in the final third that Wednesday just don't have. As I said, they've only scored one goal in the last eight games and nine points from safety, having lost a quarter of the season. It's going to be a huge task for Danny Roll, albeit there were some very encouraging signs long-term, but it's going to be a monumental ask they're going to need to show, you know, probably top half form to get themselves out of this mess. It's going to be a massive, massive challenge for Danny Royal. There's, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's quite the task he's, he's taken on, and I think he deserves tremendous credit for, for stepping into the fire, as it were, because this Wednesday side has obviously been in a, a really, really bad way under Cisco Munoz. It was, it was a disaster from, from start to finish. Let's be honest. They only got two points from his, from his tenure. They got that third point of the season under caretaker boss Neil Thompson against Huddersfield, but. Having monitored this game as closely as I could on Saturday afternoon, Wednesday, for, for long spells, were the better side. They did sort of have a range of good chances. There was an identity to their play from what I can gather. A lot of people said it was a lot more structured and a lot more sort of sensible, if you like, to what had been seen. And Danny well, Rill... Quite... the pitch, I thought. Yeah, they, they got in the face. Frustration of mine watching, watching under Cisco, where they got none of the yeah. ball and they were just sat back, but losing... Yeah, the time. and that was the thing under under Cisco, wasn't it? It was very similar to when Wednesday had that short spell with Tony Pulis in charge, where Tony Pulis sort of, he just kind of came to the table and he said, look, we need to get to the January transfer window and we'll sort of be fine from there. He edged all his bets on that and obviously Tony Pulis never made it as far as the January transfer window and it was ultimately that 10-game spell that pretty much relegated Wednesday that season. But overall, I think even though Wednesday were obviously beaten again, it's now 12 games into the season, still no win. Um, The lowest points tally at this stage of a championship season in history, just five goals scored. And that's the biggest statistic that is alarming now. One goal in eight games, as you mentioned. I think think no wins in 12 is quite an alarming statistic. Well, it is very alarming, but I think the lack of goals is just just as worrying, to be quite honest with you. And I think it's two goals in 10 as well and bear in mind they scored three of the, that five goals in their first two games as well which kind of tells its own story but looking away from Saturday's game and Wednesday's position as it were and focusing sort of on Danny Royal and that appointment it's a bit of a gamble there's no denying that it is a gamble He's, for, for anybody listening to this who's not really been following the story he is a former 
Bayern Munich assistant coach, German national team assistant coach, Southampton as well, worked at RB Leipzig as a as an analyst and a coach as well. So he's certainly put the hard yards in. He's worked at some very big clubs uh, and with some very big names, it must be said. Hansi Flick, Ralph Ranić and like, like I said to you, Elliot, last week, at the end of the day, you don't work for the German national team at the age of 34 if you've not got anything about you. So as a Wednesday fan, I have to say I'm, I'm excited by this appointment. I think it's really, really exciting, really forward-thinking, progressive. Um, the coaching staff that were built last week that have come in, Chris Powell, Henrik Pedersen, Sasha Lenzer was at Manchester United not that long ago. So he's brought in coaches with good pedigree. Chris Powell, obviously, part of the England setup not that long ago, been at Tottenham as well. So I do think, based on what we saw at the weekend, Wednesday have got a chance under this fella of turning it around. It's going to be a massively tall order. There's no denying that. Like you said, they're going to have to try and average mid-table form for the rest of the season, which when you consider they've not won any of their first 12, is going to be very, very difficult. And they've got Plymouth away on Wednesday night. Never an easy place to go, as we've mentioned many times already this season. That's going to be a really tough ask. But then they've got that basement battle with Rotherham United next Sunday. Wednesday have to win that game. There is absolutely no excuses. Wednesday is a bare minimum. They have got to win one of these next two games. Ideally, they need to win both. There's no doubt about it. They need six points for the position they're in. But failure to beat Rotherham at home, who, let's be honest, are absolutely terrible away from home, is going to be really, really difficult. But on the flip side of it, even if Wednesday do continue to tumble, but at least put up more of a fight, shall we say, and they do get relegated this season... I think Wednesday need to stick with Danny Rill. And yeah, it seems crackers saying that after just one game. But I think there's a sense that this is appointment at the age of 34. No, nothing is crackers when Dave Ponchon says That is very true. That is very true. But I think Danny Rill at the age of 34, the youngest manager in the EFL, he's, he's hit all of the right notes since coming in. The fans have immediately warmed to him. He seems a very likeable guy. And I think you can sense from his interviews he really seems excited by this challenge. He's constantly got a smile on his face. The players clearly are buying into what he wants to do after one game because of the performance level on Saturday. It was so much better. Wednesday did not deserve to lose that game. They really didn't. So I'm confident that over a long-term spell, Danny Rill can do a really good job. And you never know if it works out. It might be in a position that when you look back and you say Dave Ponchanisiri pulled an absolute blinder putting this together. Because I think when you look at the coaching staff that have been brought in as well, I can't imagine that this has been cheap to assemble. So, yeah, Wednesday have got to find wins. There's no doubt about it. There's no way of sugarcoating it. They, they desperately need wins. They desperately need some goals from somewhere to get those wins, which is going to be hard enough in itself. But like I say, this week coming, Plymouth away, Rotherham at home, Wednesday at the bare minimum, bare minimum, have got to get one win. Ideally need to. Four points wouldn't be the worst haul in the world. But sooner rather than later, they need that first win. Not in the sense that Danny Rill needs it. The club needs it. The club's future needs it, immediate future. So let's see what happens. But Danny Rill in isolation, I think, a very, very exciting appointment. Time will tell if I'm proven right, of course. But I think for Wednesday, from what they've done in the past, this is a progressive step, even though they might have to go backwards first to make it work. Good win for, well, an important win for Watford as well, who were under little bit yeah. of pressure, um, so they needed the three points. Good win for them as well. Darren Moore got his first win for Huddersfield Town as manager. Uh, they beat Queen's Park Rangers 2-1. Two early goals set the tone, 2-0 up after 14 minutes. Kean Harrett, a uh, new name to some, I'm sure. Striker that's been on loan at Port Vale, Bradford City in the last couple of years. It was his third start of the season, his first goal. 
Uh, and then Jack Radoni, a far more familiar name, sweeping in the second after a really good passing move. Good cutback, good finish from Radoni. QPR did have the chances. They, they reduced the arrays and got one back through Jake Clark Salter. They had a quite incredible moment where the ball hits the post, comes down and somehow isn't prodded in for an equaliser by QPR. And this was just a really big win for Huddersfield. Firstly, to get off the mark under Darren Moore. And, you know, there would have been quite a lot of discontent if they'd not beaten what many would consider to be one of the worst side in the championship. And there is a gap now just starting to form where that bot- bottom three is starting to get cut adrift. As I say, Wednesday are nine points adrift at the bottom. Uh, Plymouth just above the relegation zone. So that, that bottom three of Wednesday, Rotherham and QPR, who have been the worst three teams in the championship this season. So... It's interesting that that's starting to pull drift. Big win for Huddersfield. Good for Darren Moore to get off the mark as well as Bristol City manager. Yeah, definitely. I mean, D- Darren Moore obviously went into went into that job, obviously having to pick up the baton from Neil Warnock, who was immensely popular, done an amazing job in the time he was there. And I think for, for Darren Moore, if you take the Birmingham defeat out of the equation, that 4-1 hammering that they suffered there, He's had a steady start, really. One defeat in his first five. Admittedly, he's only won one, but they played very, very well in that 1-1 draw with Ipswich. They were very unlucky not to win that game. They obviously snatched a, a late equaliser at Coventry as well and then drew at Sheffield Wednesday. So, where, where they did have a decently legitimate goal chalked off, I thought, against Wednesday when Cameron Dawson was judged to have been fouled, where I thought he was yeah, quite lucky. Definitely not a foul. Yeah, so really, if you, if you look at things in another way, Darren Moore could be sitting here with a lot more points than what he's got. And, I think Huddersfield over time. I think they'll do well under Darren Moore. I said that when he got the job. I thought it was a strong. I thought it was a stable and steady appointment, a sensible one. But like you said, there they realistically they should be beating QPR at home. Most teams should be beating QPR at home at these days with the, the state that they're in. And I actually worked out a statistic about QPR earlier on: nineteen points from a possible seventy-five under Gareth Ainsworth. That is all they managed to amass. Ideal, is it? That's six Not wins particularly. It was absolutely horrendous. So I think quite clearly there is a lot of work to be done at Queen's Park Rangers in finding a new manager because this cannot carry on. This cannot persist. It is quite clear that Gareth Ainsworth is not going to turn this around. The results are not there to show for it. Their home form is absolutely atrocious. Their away form is slowly starting to be just as bad now because they did pick up some good results on the road at the start of the season, didn't they? They went to Cardiff and won. They went to Middlesbrough and won. And at that point, we kind of thought maybe, just maybe, they are going to surprise one or two this season and actually be okay. But the last few weeks, they've just been an absolute car crash, haven't they? They've only scored two goals, I think, in the last five games now. And it's it's just getting to the point where you're expecting that statement to be released by QPR saying that Gareth Ainsworth's gone, but it just doesn't seem to be arriving. So it makes you wonder what QPR are going to do because it's quite clear that this cannot persist. The form for the best part of 12 months now has been an absolute disaster, hasn't it? Ever since Michael Beale links to Wolves emerge and then obviously he went to Rangers and that obviously didn't work out for him. It's been a downward spiral ever since. So, QPR as a club have got to look at themselves and say, right, do we do we want to avoid going into League One? Because if we continue in this manner, it's going to happen. I mean, they're lucky that Rotherham and Sheffield Wednesday have been worse, that they're not bottom of the table so far. So a lot of work to be done off the pitch for QPR, but it's just a case of how, how quick do they seemingly want to do it? Because they are just continually losing games of football, not playing very well at all. And 
the fans have had enough. You can understand it. Gareth Ainsworth is a bit of a a bit of a cult hero there from his playing days. Very fondly remembered for that, but it's now risking that reputation being tarnished by what's going on from him in the dugout because it's just quite clearly not working. It's not meant to be, and it, it does question whether he is actually ready for for championship management again. He was very good at League One level with Wickham. Did reasonably okay with the resource he had when Wickham were in the championship. Obviously, they were relegated, but that was always expected. But at QPR, we see expectations are much higher and it's quite clearly not working. So, big problems there. But for Huddersfield, you can see gradual improvement. Darren Moore's slowly getting his ideas across and they've just put a little bit of daylight between themselves and the bottom three with that win. Absolutely. Blackburn Rovers beat Cardiff City 1-0 at Ewood Park. Not a great game in truth. Both teams giving the ball away. Quite a bit of international break rust. Um, the big controversial moment was Cardiff scored in the first half. A goal ruled out. Um, corner whipped in. Gutas with the header. It's a bullet straight past Wildstead. Straight past Carlin Grant, who was stood in an offside position and in the line of vision of the goalkeeper as per the referee and his assistant. I have to say, I think Blackburn got away with one big time there. I, I don't... Yes, by the letter of the law, Colin Grant is stood in front of the goalkeeper, but it flies past either of them before either of them know anything about it. It's a bullet header. He's not getting there. I would be very disappointed if that was my team and that goal was ruled out. So for me, I think Blackburn got away with one. But that's not to say Rovers didn't deserve the win because they were the better side, albeit it was quite a scrappy affair. Um, and Joe Rankin Costello got the winner. He's played. In, he's been moved into midfield now this season. Um, certainly in the last few games, he's played in that role with James Hill coming in at right back to give them a little bit more defensive solidity, having conceded 11 goals in the three league games before this run. They've only conceded one in their last three now with back-to-back clean sheets and also back-to-back wins for the first time this season. So they've made a few tweaks. James Hill's come in. Uh, it means Callum Britton, uh, played as a, an, as, almost as a right winger, basically, as an advanced right-sided player on Saturday. Uh, and Joe Rancostello is playing as sort of the right number eight uh, in that 4-3-3 system. So he got the goal, and he does add a goal threat to them, moving him into midfield. It was obviously very lively at the end of last season, couldn't play in anywhere, but right back as an inverted full-back coming into midfield. And now he's playing just in midfield in general, and he's getting into the box, he's giving them more threat. He could have scored before this, he could have had a second as well, and he got the match winner. I also want to highlight a really, really good save from Leopold Walstead right, well, in about the 70th, 8th minute. Brilliant save um, from a really powerful strike by substitute Oli Tanner, who was probably the liveliest of Cardiff's attackers, and he was only on for about 20 minutes. A really good save. Walstead um, celebrated it like he'd scored. The celebration was absolutely fantastic. So, good win for Rovers. It's one of them where They've had plenty of games this season where they've not been got the result that they deserve for the performance. So to get the win, shove it under the carpet. It's not going to be a top of the highlight reel, but you know they haven't had a lot of one nils under Yondal Thomas, and so to get back to back clean sheets, to get back to back wins, and with some winnable games coming up against Millwall in midweek and then Swansea at home next Saturday, it was important that they built on the momentum after beating QPR so well before the international break. Yeah, I agree. And obviously Blackburn, they had that bit of a troublesome period, didn't they, when they went on that losing run. But they got that win at QPR, which is not exactly difficult for many teams to go to Loftus Road and win. But when you win 4-0 away from home, it's a a platform to build on, regardless of who you're playing. And Cardiff, let's be honest, have been a team that have been capable of causing problems on their travels this season. Obviously, they went to Leeds, went 2-0 up. 
they were two 0 up at Ipswich and squandered that. They they were they were very close to getting something at Leicester as well. So I don't think you can sort of underestimate the magnitude of getting a win at home to to Cardiff with the way they've gone about their business on the road. So I think for Blackburn, really good win, ticking along steadily. I think they're about where you'd expect them to be at this juncture in the season. Really, still a very young team. Still Had some bad injuries as well. They you know, have. Sam Gallagher's been out for nearly well. He will be out for six weeks by the time he's back. Hedges is out for three months as well. So they've had to rejig things as well. Not as big Nile attackers Ennis. that have uh, yeah you know, been lost. Nile Ennis is just coming back from fitness. Arna Sigurdsson's been obviously really bright, but missed the first couple of months of the season. So I'm hoping that with some easier fixtures between now and Christmas, that we'll we'll see them go on a little bit of a run. It's certainly possible, and we, we said, didn't we, about three, four weeks ago, whenever it was, Yondal Thomason has done a really good job in sort of developing these players and making them better, and I sort of compared it to the job that Chris Wilder did at Sheffield United in the sense that he'd taken over a job and he'd improved what he'd got to work with, and obviously there's so many young players in that team that have come on in leaps and bounds, Joe Rankin, Constello being one in the last few weeks, certainly he's looked really, really live. Obviously Adam Wharton's been a big success story of Yondor Thomason's tenure so far. So I think there's, there's reasons for optimism that Blackburn can move forward. And like we said, with the, the density of this league at the minute, they're 15th, but they're only three points off the playoffs, which proves how crackers it is. And we are getting yet another mental playoff race, perhaps just like last season. So I think Blackburn will be in the conversation again. Whether they'll be able to go one better this time around, we shall see. But I think they'll certainly be in, in the conversation. They've got plenty of talent in there. Like you said, they've lost key key influential figures at the top end of the pitch, which just could come back to bite them. But we'll see what happens. But I think back-to-back wins, back-to-back clean sheets, as you just said as well, it's a platform for them to build on now and see if they can put a run of run of victories together. So we'll uh, we'll see where they end up. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Bristol City beat Coventry City 1-0. It's not really happening for Cov at the minute. Um, and they were quite good in this game, but they just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. They had some good efforts. Ben Sheaf from range just uh, just hitting the bar. They had one ruled out for offside correctly. So, And then if you don't take your chances and you switch off at the other end, free kick comes in, Rob Dickey with a free header, and it's 1-0 and they lose the game. In a game they definitely shouldn't have lost. And it was very. It could have been another draw on another day, but Mark Robbins just can't quite find that winning formula. There's been too many draws this season, not really building on any momentum. But I think the performances have been better than the points have yielded. But they've got to find a way of putting the ball in the back of the net a little bit more consistently with the chances they are creating. And at the minute, the the marooned in the sort of bottom half of the table doesn't take much, as we've discussed, to get yourself back in to sort of the top half and the top 10 picture. But it's not quite clicking for Kov with the the changes they had to make and probably shows how much they were reliant on having someone so clinical like Victor Jokeres last season. But they're still making the chances. They've got Callum O'Hara to come back in. But I think a little bit of frustration, 12 games in, that they've not got more points on the board. And to lose this game, it really was a game that they didn't deserve to be defeated in. Not at all, and it, it just goes to show that they they aren't getting the rub of the green, really, are they? They've had a few instances a bit like this where you think back to the There's Huddersfield... There's so many times you could say that, and I there feel are. like this is sort of the game there where are. you've got to say, well, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot here if yeah. you're not taking your chances. But I think at the same time, you've still got to just consider a couple of things in a the sense. There are only four points of the playoffs. Yeah, fair bit of traffic between them and, and Sunderland in sixth place at the minute. And we are, realistically still relatively early into this season and they lost their two best players in the summer. So 
you can look at it in all kinds of ways, but it is ultimately the draws that are killing Coventry so far because they've only lost three of their own in 12 games. So it is the draws that are the problem. Exactly. They've only won three and they've only lost three. It is the draws that are killing them. So it's quite clear where they're going wrong. But I think at the same time, Mark Robbins is a, a good enough manager, essentially, to turn these draws, turn these little setbacks into victories. And like I said, they lost their two most influential players, arguably two of the best players in the league last season. Jokeres now flying for sport in Lisbon. Gustavo Harmer's getting a consistent run of games in the Premier League with Sheffield United. So it was always going to be difficult to combat those losses, but they've got to find a way to get a little bit more out of the likes of Ellis Sims, had you right at the top end of the pitch. They need them to start producing the goods, scoring the goals, because let's be honest, they had enough chances on, on Saturday at Ashton Gate to win that game. And unfortunately, they were, they were beaten 1-0 by that Rob Dickey goal. So not sort of hitting the panic button for Coventry, just sort of hoping that they can just gradually turn things around because they're not too far away from doing it, but they're not quite there yet. So we'll see what happens, but I still think Coventry have got a lot to offer this season. They can climb this table. Uh, and, and as for Bristol City, by the way, important to credit them on, on, on digging in, essentially, and getting the job done. Only a point outside the playoffs now. And I actually went back and checked um, earlier on, actually, where they were at this point last season after 12 games. And oddly enough, they played Coventry in their 12th game of last season. Uh, the three points and three places better off than they were at this stage last season. So gradual progress, not a lot, but steps in the right direction. Two wins in the last three games now, but three defeats in five. So again, a bit similarly to Stoke, it's about trying to find that level of consistency. So we'll, we'll see what happens with uh, with Bristol City. But I think Nigel Pearson, on the whole, can be pleased with where they're at after 12 games. Eight spots, it's not bad. There were two draws in the Championship this weekend. Preston North End won, Millwall won, point apiece. But perhaps more interestingly, the first game in four years without Gary Roward at the helm. Surprise, not necessarily by the decision from both parties. And it does seem like it was one of these rare, mutually um, decided decisions to part ways. But more the timing of it on, what was it, Wednesday night after the international break. Um, well, with the international break coming to an end. So very... Odd timing. Adam Barrett's in charge. A, a comprehensive process is already underway, say uh, the Millwall hierarchy. I think things have probably had gone a little bit stale under Rauer. I did say last season I thought they had the best squad they'd had under him and, and you can't say anything other than they, they absolutely bottled the playoffs because they were 3-1 up against Blackburn on the last day of the season in their own hands and to capitulate in the way they did and then miss out subsequently was pretty poor. Um, they've not got off to the greatest start this season. And it just feels like maybe after four years, things have gone a little bit samey and maybe a new voice in the dressing room. But that, that's not to great. What a job he's done there, by the way, over the course of four years at the Den to take them from a team that were first aim was to stay in the championship to a team that are frustrated they're not finishing the playoffs. He's done a brilliant job to build that club and, and, and get them to that point. I just think that probably I probably think it was the right time for both. Uh, you know, a sacking would have been unfair, so probably is the right time for both parties to just go the separate ways and, and reassess. Um, Nathan Jones is obviously an obviously decent shout, having not been in work since leaving Southampton to come in. John Eustace is now on the market again, having left Birmingham. I assume you're not surprised either by by the the exit or the timing. And who do you think would be a good fit? No, I wasn't surprised in terms of the decision. Timing, like you said, a little bit odd, but 
we don't know what goes off behind closed doors in terms of agreements that got to be made and decisions and who makes them and the timing of them and all that, all that sort of stuff. But I think it had just reached a point where it had just gone a little bit stale ultimately and a change was needed. And I actually watched Millwall's draw with Preston on Saturday lunchtime in, in, in full uh, and it was said on there that it was 100% a mutual agreement between the club and Gary Rowett. Just They came to the agreement in the sense that the club needs to try something new to be able to progress. And I think if that's the case, you've got to, you've got to praise Gary Rowett for that, for recognising that and thinking of the club and the bigger picture. So I think, like you said, over the time of his, over his spell in charge, he, he did do a very good job. He, he dragged them forward quite considerably, really. And their, their profile grew as a championship club under his premiership. And I think as well as that... as well, though, didn't it? It did. That's where I think the, the it, frustration grew towards the latter part that maybe it was... A little bit too late. Maximising that potential. Yeah, that was the thing, wasn't it? Sort of last summer in terms of the summer of 2022 when they, they brought Zian Fleming in. It was very not Millwall. It was a little bit too sort of vibrant and out of, out of the box. Yeah, it was a bit too flashy for Millwall, but... That's sort of the way they've slowly started to evolve. So it does make you wonder, what will they do in terms of a manager? Will they go down the route of looking at a foreign appointment? There's not really been, aside from Eustace and, and Kevin Muscat, there's not really been many names sort of heavily linked with it, certainly with concrete uh, concrete evidence to back it up. So it remains a very sort of wide open position, this, to see what happens in the coming days or possibly coming weeks, depending on how long it takes. But um, personally, for me, I think anyone like a John Eustace would be a good shout. And Nathan Jones, the experienced hands-on men in this in this division, Eustace. Michael Peel, of course, is back in yeah, the reckoning. Yeah, he is. As well. he, he was looking at the betting odds now. Muscat's top at two to one, and then you've got Eustace, Michael Beale, Nathan Jones, Neil Warnock, Adam Barrett was obviously currently in charge. Mark Kennedy, a surprise name, having left Lincoln, I'd be surprised if that happens. But yeah, I yeah, think there's options. Me, I, think I, could, I could see Michael Beale going in there. I could see. Nathan Jones going in there. I'm not, I think Eustace probably could get a better job with no disrespect to Millwall for the with how high his stock is at the moment. But then again, the market waits for no one and that stock quickly fades and people get forgotten about. So, Yeah, that is very true. But I think, like I said, it, it's a wide open contest, this one potentially. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do. Will they go down the route of a, a, a well-known British coach like you've just mentioned there, the names you've reeled off, or will they go outside of the box and go for a a complete unknown quantity from overseas because Millwall, like I said, they seem to have become a little bit more flashy in the last 12 months or so, sort of thinking outside the box with their recruitment. Will they do the same with the manager? Time will tell, obviously, but I think you've got to praise Gary Rout for the job he did. He did very, very well there over the time, but I think he's recognised, the club have recognised that it's just time for something new. As simple as that, it's just time for something new. Not really done an awful lot wrong, Things did peter out towards the end, but not to a level where it was absolutely disastrous. It was just a sentence where he's taken them as far as he could. And I think something new will come up. And to be fair, I don't think it'll be long before we see Gary Rowett back in a job because he is a good manager. He knows this league very, very well. And I'm sure somebody, when they no doubt pull the trigger on someone in the next few months, they'll come knocking on his door. Yeah, West Brom nil, Plymouth nil was the other draw. I thought Plymouth were really good here and probably the better team. Alex Palmer had to pull off a few good saves. West Brom quite off colour. Plymouth unlucky not to get the win. And then Rotherham v Ipswich, was of course called off on Friday night. I am just going to say, because I've seen a lot of criticism for Rotherham, you can't call a game off for a flood and for a river bursting until the river has burst its banks. I I'm totally with football fans that... 
authorities are not quick enough to make decisions when it comes down to waterlogged pitchers and when there's quite clearly heavy downfall coming. And yes, I know the train station was practically underwater and closed off by Friday, but the pitch was fine. So you can't call the game off until the river bursts because there was no issue with the pitch. And if they called it off and the river doesn't burst its banks, then there's no issue. And then they'd have got criticised. So I feel a little bit sorry for Rotherham on this occasion. I don't think you can call it off until it does burst. Of course, that's no consolation to Ipswich fans who'd made the journey. It's just one of... There doesn't always have to be someone to blame, I think is what I'm trying to say. It's just one of those things that's a bit unfortunate. Yeah, I agree with that. And myself, you, we both live in South Yorkshire and we know just how bad it was on Friday. It was it was absolutely torrential. Didn't stop until the early hours of Saturday morning. And at the end of the day, like you said there, you can't do anything really about the weather. Nobody can control it. It is what it is. It's unfortunate for the Ipswich fans that it didn't get called off till five o'clock, three hours before kickoff. When you've you know you've made a long trip on a Friday evening all the way up from Suffolk, but it is what it is, unfortunately. And like I say, it, the matter essentially was out of Rotherham United's hands. They they can't control the river. They can't control the riverbanks. The pitch. I saw a picture. The pitch was in pristine condition. It was absolutely perfect, ready for football. But it was obviously supporter safety has got to be paramount. And with the way the rain just continued to fall, who knows how things could have turned out. But. Uh, at the end of the day, it's it's no harm done and the game will be replayed in due course. And for Ipswich, who knows, they, they might be in even better form by then. Rotherham might have been better form, might make it a better game. We'll see. Probably can't be in worse form. <laughs> That's true. No, they, got a, point the end of this? Oh, they got a They got a point at Southampton a week before. Platform to build on. They did. I'm not sure how sustainable <laughs> getting your goalkeeper to save shots with his face is. <laughs> Fair is enough. That. Uh, that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your episodes from and we'll get the latest one from us every single week. Follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24 and a huge thanks to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.